0: value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henninger and I'm your host. Today is a Let's Talk Investing episode. I'm going to discuss investing in the oil majors. Instead of talking about just one individual stock, I want to discuss all of the oil majors individually as a group. And that should help you think about investing in them individually as well. Because really the way you invest in one oil major is pretty much the same that you would invest in the others as well. So some of you are probably thinking at this point, what is an oil major? An oil major's... Sometimes are known as big oil or the sisters, but basically the oil majors are these large multinational oil producing companies um, that are fully vertically integrated. And so the main oil majors that I'm referring to are ExxonMobil, Chevron, Royal Dutch Shell, BP, and Total. So ExxonMobil is based in the US as well as Chevron, but Royal Dutch Shell is a UK and Dutch company, while BP is a UK company, and Total is a French company. These oil majors are the primary producers of large amounts of oil in the Western world. Now, obviously, I said Western world because I'm excluding from consideration the the national oil companies, which are traditionally owned by national governments. And these are, um, you know, companies in Russia has national oil and gas companies. There are companies in the Middle East and there are companies in China and these companies, um, as well as like in Venezuela, where they, these companies are. Produce oil in a very similar manner to the oil majors, but they are not considered one of the oil majors because they're not publicly investable by DIY investors. So let's dive into what these oil majors are. Really, again, being an oil major has traditionally meant being a fully vertically integrated company from oil exploration, drilling, refining, and then to chemical production. And really what you're targeting here about to think about is they really are trying to hit the whole value chain. So they don't just drill for oil or they don't just explore. They don't just have a refinery and they don't just produce chemicals. They're not just a chemical company. They really hit the whole range across the board. And so the oil majors have this integration which provides them qualities that are quite different from other oil companies because the oil market, oil is a commodity, and so the oil market is very cyclical and it has a lot of commodity pricing concerns. So oil companies in general that aren't oil majors face a lot of pricing pressure. They don't have pricing power, they don't determine the pricing of their products, and they simply have to sell their products at market prices, but they have to, but they have to pay, for product, pay for their services from companies that might have pricing power. So an oil services company like Schlumberger or Halliburton might be able to charge high prices to an oil company, um, and then the oil company might have to sell their oil at a loss if prices of oil are down. And this can cause very cyclical markets for oil companies. And this can be dangerous as you're an investor because cyclicality tends to be a harm for investors. You don't want the earnings of your company to come on a cyclical basis because it makes it very hard to predict what your earnings are and what your long-term earnings trend will be. Now... So with all that said, why are we discussing investing in the oil majors and what are the benefits for investing in the oil majors? Well, first I need to really dive into the business model of the oil majors because have, although I've called you know these companies, Exxon, Chevron, Shell, BP and Total oil majors, that really does them a disservice. They're not simply oil companies. Really nowadays, we're talking about oil and gas companies. Um, It's because these oil majors have expanded beyond just focusing on oil production and oil drilling to gas production. So we're talking about natural gas. Um, If you've heard of fracking, they're big into this area of producing um, gas and this could be liquid, liquid liquefied natural gas or non liquefied natural gas, but basically being in the natural gas market in addition to the oil market. Um, And this is primarily because as gas prices have dropped, and again, we're talking natural gas prices, not gas at the oil pump, but as natural gas prices have dropped, this has been a major growth driver for the gas market, and it has meant that the oil majors have found have found a great area to expand their production and expand their resource base because the skill sets of an oil company can be very easily applied to a gas company. When you're talking on the sheer massive scale that these oil majors operate and we're truly talking massive because most of these companies are hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap. Um, or tens of billions of dollars in market cap on the low end. These are absolutely massive companies that are producing more oil than than most countries, and they are bringing in higher revenues than many countries bring in in taxes. And so these companies are absolutely massive, when we're talking hundreds of thousands of employees at these companies, and really exercising a lot of power and influence in the areas where they work. So, you know, instead of branding them as oil companies, which a lot of companies are trying to get away from due to the a lot of environmental concerns with oil production, burning oil, burning gas, and producing greenhouse gases, Really, the way that you should think about these companies and the way that the companies want you to think about them is it's energy companies. And instead of just simply accepting this, what we need to think about, though, is, is I want you to really think on why this makes sense. And the reason it makes sense is because what these companies do is they are producing product at such a large scale that they practically mint money. They are producing cash on very high levels because their scale of operations are so large. So that... When the oil market was extremely profitable and they were making a lot of money, they were able to use that money to expand into the gas market and You should expect this sort of expansion to continue in the future, so even though we look today and say cars are going to be used less in the future, or at least gasoline based cars that use that burn oil based products will be used less in the future. that is not a reason to think that the Oil and gas companies won't exist in the future. And the reason is, is that these companies really think of themselves as energy companies. Their product is energy, and they don't care about the format in which they provide it. One good example of this is BP. You know, otherwise used to be known as British Petroleum. Um, This is the BP of the BP oil disaster in um, the Gulf of Mexico. That you might have heard of in the last 10 years. But what we're really talking about here is recently they have made a big push into solar energy. And what this is showing is that the companies believe that their future is being energy providers to the world. They're not focusing simply on one product. And because they have large resources, again, hundreds of billions of dollars. And at their peak, ExxonMobil is making tens of billions of dollars in profit every year. Um, to the point where some of the discussion was that there should be a ban on high profits, like we should restrict the profitability that these companies are allowed to make. They see themselves as providing energy, and they don't see themselves as simply providing oil and gas. And so you need to think in terms of investing in these companies as a company that is longer term than simply the oil market. So I think that's the big hurdle that you need to get over in your head when you're thinking about investing in an oil major. Because although that is the history of these companies and and a lot of them have their assets, at least in the U.S., dating back to Standard Oil and Rockefeller, you really need to think in terms of these companies lasting a very long time. So Exxon can trace its history back into the 1800s. Shell, Chevron, BP Total, these are all companies that have been around well over a hundred years. And they have a long history of oil production and then expanding that now into new areas. Um, So what this really ties into next then is what does that do for them in producing these different things? And what does it do for them being vertically integrated? Um, So as I said at the very beginning, an oil company that doesn't do exploration, drilling, refining, and chemical production can face a lot of pricing concerns due to the volatility of the oil price. The benefit of having the entire vertical integration is that each part of that process has the opportunity to, to make a profit. And so if one part of the process, say oil drilling, is not currently profitable, the refining business might be incredibly profitable. And this can buttress the ups and downs in the oil market to make the overall company much less cyclical. And this is critically important to the success of these companies because it has allowed them to use the cyclicality of the oil and gas market to make acquisitions. They will accumulate large amounts of money in the good times and then use that money to make massive acquisitions in the down markets. And this has allowed them to grow over time. So when Exxon decided to expand into the gas market, they were able to do so when the commodity prices crashed. And they used that to then invest and purchase their way into a new market. So this is the standard methodology of operating for these companies. They have diverse operations that provide them the benefits of bypassing a lot but not all of the cyclical concerns for producing a commodity product. And they're so large that they're able to have massive resources to expand at will when they need to. So Let's talk then, you know, now that we've decided that we should really think of these oil majors as energy companies or energy majors, let's now discuss what it means that these are energy majors. And what it really means at the end of the day is that it changes how you think about the energy majors as durable investments, One of the keys to finding a quality company that you can invest in for decades and decades at a time to really think in terms of a generational mindset is you need a company that is going to have an enduring, durable product or enduring, durable profits. And that is what I believe the energy majors offer. Because what they're able to do is they're able to take a commodity, whether it be oil, gas, solar energy, maybe nuclear energy in the future, whatever it may be, and convert that into cash. And really, that's all an investor wants in an investment. They want a company that finds a way to take some product, turn it into cash, and give it to them as a dividend. And that's really what these companies specialize in. They're really producing liquid or gaseous gold something that the world needs which is energy and packaging it and transporting it to the customer where they need it and getting cash in return that's the core business model that these businesses are operating in and this is an infinitely durable business because you're always going to need a company that is going to you're always going to need energy the world is constantly using more energy and we're always going to need more of it. So when you can think about investing in an oil major, you're investing in a company that has already been around for over 100 years, but also has the possibility of being around for another 100 years. Now, we can't exactly predict what these, the company will look like in 100 years. But in the same way that you couldn't predict that 50 years ago, it didn't stop investors from making a large amount of money. So it's very interesting as a whole and individually, the oil majors have trounced the S and P 500 return since 1950, according to the research of Jeremy Siegel. And this has proven to be very interesting as investors think about how they make their investments, because you have a company that, you know, even today and historically was looked at almost in a negative manner because If you think about the press that the oil majors get, it's not positive. They are generally considered to be at the forefront of the cause of global warming by producing greenhouse gases and producing the products that are being burned to produce those greenhouse gases. But it's seldom realized that this negative attitude towards oil companies can in part cause them to be a positive investment success. Because one of the things that the oil companies do is they pay a lot of dividends. And dividends are really key to earning a high return on your investment over long periods of time. And again, for long periods of time, I'm talking about decades. You don't want to think in terms of long period of time as a year or a month. A long period of time is any time that's five years to 10 years to 20 years or longer. You're trying to think in these long periods. You know, when you make your investments, you're going to be investing over your career for a very long period of time. You're not investing for only a year. You're going to be investing for, say, 30 years or 50 years, you know, especially when you include the time that you are investing still while you're retired. So ideally, it's not always the case, but ideally, if you're given the opportunity, it would nice to, to find a single company that you can buy and own for 50 straight years, And if that company can offer you the return that you need that whole time, it reduces the amount of work that you as a DIY investor have to do. If you can determine that a company is going to be around for 50 years and that it's going to be profitable, this can make your investing life a lot easier. Now, there's no way to guarantee that ExxonMobil or Shell or Chevron is infinitely durable, like I think. There's no way to guarantee that they're going to continue to be profitable years down the road. Certainly, we had the BP disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, which drastically reduced the returns that BP offers to investors that owned the company beforehand. But going forward, the company can still be a very positive investment when you think about the sheer amount of cash flow that these companies produce from their operations. So remember, the key takeaway here on durability is that they have the scale and the financial resources and the business model that allows them to expand into new energy-related industries when it suits them. So you shouldn't think about them necessarily being easily competed out of business in that regard. Okay, so... That brings us to competition. And when we think about competition for these majors, they have competition really in terms of energy. So they're not necessarily competing only against other oil companies or only against other natural gas companies like fracking companies. They're also competing against companies like Tesla or um, solar uh, power plants They're competing against companies that are producing energy in ways anyway, really, um, that could be cheaper than the way that they're currently do it. And so you need to also think about the competitive landscape as being very heavy for these companies. These are not companies like Gilead, which I discussed in a previous episode, that faces very little competition and is its business. In its business. Instead, Exxon Places has extreme competition in its business. It has zero pricing power because it faces having to compete across the board against many different companies that could sell energy into the market. So they have to sell at market prices. So where is the competitive advantage then? The competitive advantage comes in the fact that generally oil majors are the low-cost producers in their market. ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, these types of companies can, sell, can produce oil at a cheaper price than other companies because they are more efficient at a larger scale than the other companies are. This can be hugely beneficial for investors because it means that even in low oil markets, you still might be able to make a profit on on an annual basis. And this proved true even up until the very end where some of the oil companies finally started going negative in profits during the very lowest point of the oil price drop most recently in 2016. Now, so on a competition side, it's not necessarily good that they have a lot of competitors, But it also means that their all-encompassing nature to be able to acquire into new industries can be very helpful because the companies already think about themselves in fighting in that market. So what does this mean from a quality standpoint? Oil majors are some of the highest quality companies around, but it has a positive and a negative side. So really, one of the things you're looking for in quality is predictability of earnings. And then the second one is really durability of earnings. So predictability of earnings, it's not ideal because remember, although they have some balancing effects um, from the cyclical nature of the market, they do face cyclical pressures. So if you own stock in an oil major or an energy major for a long period of time, you're going to see your profits drop and rise over time. This is okay, though, as long as the company is continually profitable and that the trend of profits is growing over time. Now, historically, this has been true that, you know, ExxonMobil, for instance, has been paying a continuous dividend for 107 years since 1911. And this dividend has been raised for every year since 1982. So what this means is that even though the profits on an individual year basis were fluctuating each year because of how the management manages the business, investors were able to not see that fluctuating change because their dividend was still being paid each and every year. So really what you need to do from understanding how to invest in these companies is you need to focus on the dividend. What is your payment that you're getting paid and can you expect that payment to grow over time or can you? how is the management managing the dividend? And in this way, the oil majors are finally a little different. ExxonMobil has historically been the highest quality dividend of across the oil majors because they've made their dividend a critical part of their culture. Their goal is to Always maintain their dividend and then grow it if possible. What this means is they're very conservative about how much they pay out in their dividend compared to their earnings. And this has allowed them to continue growing their dividend over time. It also means that generally ExxonMobil's dividend yield will be the lowest out of the oil majors because they've targeted a safe dividend versus a high dividend. Now, in comparison, probably the second most safe dividend generally talked about would be Chevron, the other U.S. oil company, and this is generally because the U.S. companies are trying to cater first to U.S. investors, and U.S. investors don't like seeing fluctuating dividends. They don't like seeing dividends that go up and down based upon business conditions, and so this means that Chevron also targets trying to keep their dividend relatively safe. This is in contrast to a company like BP or Shell or Total, where it's more acceptable for the dividend to go up or down each year, depending upon whether the company is making a higher or lower profit. What this means is that you're going to see higher volatility of dividends at the other oil major companies. But you'll also see higher dividend yields at those companies. So where you might see a dividend yield of 3 or 4% at Exxon, a dividend yield of 5% at Chevron, you might see a dividend yield of 6 7 or 8% at BP, Shell, and Total. It's quite possible for all of these dividends to still result in very similar returns over time because of how the management is operating their businesses. But at the end of the day, a company that is able to pay out high amounts of dividends and continue paying out high dividends over very long periods of time is that has the makings of very, very high quality company. And so there it's worth learning about oil majors as potential investments because traditionally they have been one of the bedrocks of an investing portfolio. So, you know, for example, From 1957 to 2003, again, this is Dr. Siegel's research, um, Royal Dutch Shell, which was originally Royal Dutch for Petroleum, grew at 13.64%. Meanwhile, Exxon um, compounded at about 12.5%. So you're seeing these companies, those two companies, for example, but really I could list out all of them, um, were growing at rates that are above what the S&P 500 was returning. And it just goes to show that during those times, you still had ideas that oil was going to go away. You had the idea of peak oil um, and that oil was running out in the world and you had all these different things that we're going to move away from oil. And that's been a continuing storyline for many years. But these companies are still here. They're still making a profit. And I believe they're going to continue making a profit in the future. So. The other, I've talked a a little bit on capital allocation so far, but let's dive into the other side of capital allocation. One side is buying back shares, and we've not talked on that yet. We've talked about the dividend side, but we haven't talked about buying back shares. Um, And then your third piece is also dedicating capital into the business and, you know, expanding the business and paying for maintenance using capital expenditures, What you'll find with the oil majors is these are extremely capital-intensive businesses. If you you look at stuff I have on the rest of my website or other things I'm going to talk about, highly capital-intensive businesses are typically lower quality. These are not signs of a high-quality business. However, because of the nature of oil, because of the nature of energy, this is going to be one of your small exceptions because they're kind of the exception that proves the rule in this sense And that the problem with a capital-intensive business is that you might show a lot of earnings that aren't real. There are a lot of earnings that can't be paid out to investors as dividends because if they're not reinvested in the company in terms of maintenance or capital expenditure, then eventually your profits would fall off. And that is true in the way that Exxon Mobil, Shell, and the other oil majors operate. However, the key is you can still value a capital-intensive business, you just have to make sure that two things are happening. One, that management understands they operate in a very capital-intensive business, and two, that management manages those costs well. They need to understand how to spend that money for the long term, And this has typically been one of the things that the oil majors have gotten right, is they typically are constantly working to spend money on maintenance when needed to pay down more capital expenditure to grow the business over time. The key is, though, you need to properly discount that portion of the earnings out of your valuation. Just because, you know, so a capital-intensive business is worth less than a light, less capital-intensive business if they both are making the same amount of money. So, I mean, if Exxon is making $10 billion in profits, they might not have $10 billion in free cash flow, which is really what you're targeting. And so they might have something like $6 billion in free cash flow. But as long as we value the company based upon that $6 billion in free cash flow and not the $10 billion, we can get a good valuation. So in terms of quality, though, the focus should be on making that determination on this dividend. But also, as I preluded, on whether they buy back shares. Now, all of the companies like to buy back shares when possible, but there's a different standard that they generally take. And this is where ExxonMobil really shines out in the pack amongst the rest is that ExxonMobil has had a consistently falling share count over time um, and has properly managed not only – paying out a dividend but also buying back shares and this has boosted their return um, compared to the other companies because they have this hidden benefit of each share being worth more each additional year so finally just to kind of round out this discussion the way i think about it though when you want to value these companies you kind of have to think in terms of a dividend discount model instead of an earnings discount model. So a lot of times when I'm doing a discounted cash flow model, which is your theoretical best way to value a company, you're trying to use earnings because earnings are earnings or free cash flow, but in this sense owners earnings are the amount of earnings that an owner can take out of the business and not harm that business in the long term. Well, as I mentioned on the capital intensive nature of these businesses, Using gap earnings, the stated earnings on the balance sheet can be a big risk. You don't necessarily want to do that because it could be dangerous in getting a number that's wrong. Therefore, what I do is not discount earnings, but I discount dividends because I say management is doing the job of determining what my owner's earnings are, and I'm going to ignore everything above dividends because... It's not under my control and this is a very cyclical business. So this is conservative because your owner's earnings presumably would be higher than the dividend rate, but it's possible that it won't be. So my I would always conservatively value um, the comp- these oil majors when you're making a considering an investment and I would do that by only counting dividends and only counting the dividend growth rate. So, you're going to have your expected return essentially equal dividend yield plus dividend growth rate. And this is what can be very beneficial because if, say, your dividend yield is 10%, well, as long as the dividend growth rate is 0% or higher, you're going to get a 10% return that you should expect from this company. Um, and it's why very recently, you know, I, I've been able to consider buying a company like ExxonMobil because their shares we're able to reach the point where the dividend yield plus dividend growth rate that I expect exceeded 10%. And it's something that it's only based upon the fact that this company and all the oil majors are focused on growing these dividends over time. And they're very conservative in the way that they manage their cash flows. Because any other oil company, any other company that doesn't have the benefits and the characteristics that I outlined of these oil majors would be very risky to depend solely on doing a dividend analysis, because you don't necessarily know how that dividend is structured and how that management is set it up. But the oil majors have cultures around their dividends that really protect them and keep them sacrosanct. First and foremost is Exxon Mobil with that strategy. So really it's understanding how these companies operate and what their goals are as management that allows you to use a simplified model in determining what a proper value is for purchasing these businesses. So I hope that's been helpful understanding how I think about these companies, but we want to end by really thinking about, and you always want to end your investments analysis by thinking about where are the errors? Where are the things that could trip you up here in your analysis? What could be wrong? And for me, what could be wrong is really a few things. And and the first risk is I think is misunderstanding the threat that electric vehicles pose to these pose to the oil majors. So even though these are energy companies, um and they have the ability to expand into different forms of energy, including solar, there's no guarantee that they will. And if they don't, something like electric vehicles that might reduce the need for oil in the future could be a long-term threat. So I think that it's going to take many decades for electric vehicles to be ramped up and to become the majority vehicle on the road. But if that projection is wrong, then the performance of the oil majors could be worse than I expect. You know, another area is perhaps a carbon tax. And so if because oil companies and gas companies are producing materials that when burned produce a lot of greenhouse gases, they are open up to the possibility of being threatened by a carbon tax being placed upon them. Now. The caveat for this is that a lot of these oil majors are actually advocates for implementation of a carbon tax. ExxonMobil is one of the key ones in this line because for them, they believe a carbon tax actually benefits them. And in large part, because they're the low cost producers in the market, which means that if the carbon tax makes it harder for oil companies to make money, Exxon's going to benefit because their competitors are all weaker than them. So again, this is one of the areas where I could be wrong, or if Exxon's wrong, then a carbon tax could threaten their model. The other risk is that um, it's very difficult to almost impossible to project stuff like oil and gas prices over the long term. Although historically they have grown along with inflation over time, there's no guarantee that will continue to be true, and there's no guarantee that demand for oil will continue to grow as many expect it to do so. And finally, again, even though these companies are energy companies, if they are unable, for whatever reason, to expand into the newest energy fields, whether that be solar energy, nuclear energy, wind energy, if they are unable to even acquire their ways into these business, which I find to be doubtful, but if they aren't, that could be a potential error in my analysis and it could harm the durability of these companies. So really, that's my overview of the oil major business. I think I've given some decent insight in how I think about these companies and how I think about investing in the oil majors. I personally like the idea of owning a piece of big oil and having the ability to receive dividends that are separate from the central part of the economy. So a lot of times these oil companies will fluctuate in ways that are different than the S&P 500, and it could give you some exposure to higher prices uh, and the benefit of high oil prices when many stocks and many companies get harmed by high oil prices. So that really wraps up what I wanted to talk about. Again, this is a listener-supported show, so if you would like to support me and support my continued work on this podcast and continued investment education and resources, consider becoming a patron of the show at diyinvesting.org slash patron. That's diyinvesting.org slash P-A-T-R-O-N. And if you do that, I have many benefits on there to help you better understand how to become a an investor in individual companies, and I have benefits set up to provide you exclusive access into my own personal research process, which I think can provide tremendous value for those who are really trying to become better investors. Again, I hope you'll consider supporting me if I'm providing value for you in this program, but I'd also welcome feedback and any Um, concerns you may have on you know helping me produce better content for you in the future so thank you for your time thank you for your support and i will talk to you again next time DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers